have your Bible with you today, uh, go with me, or your Bible apps, go with me um, to the book of John, chapter 11, John the 11th chapter. I want to read some of these verses today that I w- if you can look at it with your own eyes, it would be more beneficial. I- I've been teaching a series uh, called Healing Basics. Okay, I was not teaching and am not teaching in response to the global pandemic, but it's timely, you know, at the the same time. Uh, The last series I taught on focus had a lot of healing components there, too. Um, But I had it on my heart to teach this from this standpoint, laying a foundation for healing in our bodies. And, of course, now we can see more than ever. Man, we got to get. We should get this. We should get this deeply rooted inside of us, and and so I want to continue. This will be the seventh part. Just for those who are new, there was lots of teaching before to lay the foundation and groundwork, but I recognize that because uh, because healing is um, appropriated uh, spiritually and not according to the five senses, that that potential delay or even a, even a lack of receiving sometimes all by itself will cause questions to come. And they're logical. I mean, if you're believing God, stay, asking, trusting, you know, had, had, laying on hands, all these things, and, and you haven't seen a physical change, it's logical to start asking, what's the deal? You know, what's wrong? Uh, what we don't want to do, of course, is judge our future, our potential, or God's work in our lives based upon our feelings. Sometimes the feelings are a lagging indicator of the work of God, meaning that's the opposite of faith. We don't go by what we see and feel. We go by what God's Word says. Uh, And and so we do not want to um, let any lack of experience or delayed experience start bringing questions to our mind that basically impugn God and imply uh, that he has somehow failed us or withheld something from us. We don't want to get on that side of the equation like God's side is the issue. Is everybody with me on this? Okay. There are um, certain passages of scripture that have been used to substantiate that and basically to let people know that there's nothing you can do about it. It's all in God's control. And it is a misunderstanding of those verses. Like I said previously, you always start with the bulk, the the majority, the clear verses, and then deal with the more obscure passages that seem to say something different in light of what's clear. All right. In, in, In regards to healing in our bodies, one of the beliefs, I would just say lies, but, you know, misunderstandings of Scripture has to do with sickness being for God's glory. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but some have believed that people are sick for the glory of God, that He derives pleasure, satisfaction, honor when his kids are suffering sickness and disease, okay? If that seems illogical to you, it is just as illogical as as a parent who has a child that is suffering some kind of sickness. They don't delight in that. It doesn't bring glory to the home. 
right? In fact, parents do everything in their power, will go out of their way and disrupt their lives and do everything possible to alleviate the suffering of their own children, right? And, and if we are that way as human beings, moms and dads are that way, how much more is our Father in heaven that way towards us, okay? So He's not honored and gloried glorified in people being sick. Nevertheless, there is a passage that, that some have used to imply that, and I want to deal with that one and then one more today, okay? And I want to, you know, little, little double barrel shotgun hit, hit two passages today that will help us tremendously in regards to healing. This one is found in John chapter 11. If you're familiar with the, the chapter, this is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. All right? So Lazarus died. He was raised up. Hate to give the punchline first, but some of you already know that's going to happen. And uh, I know when I'm using scriptures, you can read ahead and uh, find out. But uh, good news is Lazarus did get raised from the dead. So that is an amazing testimony of God's power. Nevertheless, it was some of the statements made before that that I want to bring clarity to and, and uh, not allow them to be a hindrance to our own faith. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it reads, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Okay? Uh, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Okay? Now, I don't know if this is for you, but some, maybe it's... Uh, maybe I'm stereotyping, but it seems like the women want to know the, all the relationships around this guy. Am I, am I, <laughs> I know when my wife and I watch sports, I just want to see him hit somebody, you know, score, do some good things. She wants to know who's related to who. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the story of Lazarus, some of you are like, boom, dead, alive, let's get to the good stuff. And I'm, well, what about his friends? <laughs> Who's his sister? Okay, so we get all that. See, so this covers everybody. It's a, a blessing. Yeah. Uh, verse 3, therefore the, sist uh, therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when we read that, I mean, I don't know if that makes your head go tilt at all. When I see the rest of Scripture, I think, oh, no, it, I understand what, he's, what he means by that. But many times people don't understand the, the bulk of, of Scripture on the subject. And so they read this, and they jump to this conclusion that Lazarus was sick, and as he was wheezing for his last breath, because the sickness did kill him, that, that he's wheezing for his last breath, that the father and the son are beaming with satisfaction. That, 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 that God was glorified in this sickness. And again, we, I think it's okay to use common sense a little bit. It's okay to logically approach it and say, that doesn't sound right. God who loves us, and he is being glorified out of Lazarus shaking, and I'm, you know, ad-libbing here, but whatever that looked like, that sickness that killed him, had to be pretty severe, Can't, couldn't have been pleasurable, and it eventually killed him, 
And I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here at all. Uh, God did not get glory out of this situation with Lazarus until he was raised from the dead. He wasn't glorified in the sickness itself, but in the end result of what took place. Let me show you that. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Well, hold on a minute. That sickness was unto death. The sickness did kill him. So that's obviously not what Jesus meant when he said unto death, but unto glory. He was not speaking of the middle part of this, you know, the catching of the sickness, the getting sick. But he was speaking of the end of the story. The end of it was not to death. The end of it was glory to God. Everybody see that? It wasn't that the sickness brought glory to God. It was the end result of this. I mean, and you think about it, sickness never glorifies God. I mean, no, no more. Again, like I said, our loved ones, did that bring glory to any of us? Um, in fact, uh, we are the object of God's love. He is, we are the apple of his eye. Come on. He's got your picture in his wallet. <laughs> I mean, his love for you is deep and wide. It is an amazing thing. And he does not delight or take any pleasure in your suffering in this way at all. I mean, the only kind of suffering I think that brings glory to God is when we stand for him in the face of persecution. You know, and that's a form of suffering there. Or when we deny our flesh and, you know, resist temptation, there's suffering involved in that. And, and your, your commitment to him brings glory in that regard. But for him to see his kids suffer like Lazarus was suffering here, that in and of itself does not bring any glory. And how many know we can all do more for God when we're well than when we're laid up in bed? I mean, when someone is under the weight of a, a disease, if you've, ever have a, if you've ever had heavy symptoms, debilitating symptoms in your body where you could hardly move, you couldn't go to work, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't serve, you couldn't help anybody else. You weren't really a blessing to anyone at that point. You're just trying to make it. How many know that's, that's not a picture of something that gives glory to God? It's a very limiting life. Yeah. Then I don't mean that someone who has a sickness that they can't glorify God. I think in the middle of anything, not only can we, we ought to, Say, Lord, I'm giving you glory in the middle of this. It's not from you. It's not because of you. But I worship you because you're my answer, you're my help, and you're my healer today. So you can give glory to God in spite of a sickness, but not because of it. Everybody okay? Amen. Let's go on to verse 5. Let's see. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to, go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you, going to, are you going there again? Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said after that after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. 
Now, now this is an interesting way for Jesus to describe his dead friend. Our friend Lazarus, what, what does he do? He sleeps, and we just need to go wake him up. Now, how many know Lazarus, if you want to get technical about it, he was more than sleeping. I mean, he was sleeping without breath, you know. <laughs> and if you read further, when the disciples questioned the Lord on his verbiage there, they said, well, cool, let's just go wake him up. He said, listen, he's dead. So Jesus had to clarify once they were inquiring. But why does Jesus do this? Why does he speak of his, of his dead friend Lazarus as being, sleep, as being asleep instead of actually dead? Well, uh, if you're like, like me, you see sleeping as an easier problem to solve than dying. Yeah. Right? Sleep is a temporary condition. I don't think any of us, upon hearing that a loved one is sleeping, panic. Did you hear? So-and-so, they fell asleep. <gasps> oh, no. We better call a prayer meeting. I mean, we better do something. Someone call 911. They're sleeping. No, we just, oh, they're sleeping. Okay. Well, if we need them, I guess we could... <laughs> We could shake them, we could talk to them, wake them up, but we're not overly concerned. In fact, our faith is really high that they can wake up if they're sleeping. Right? But when you talk about death, how many know that's another thing? And we start thinking, so-and-so died. We think, oh, well, that's, that's a serious issue. That's a, that's a permanent thing. Okay. Jesus referred to Lazarus' death as being him being asleep. I like to get in the Lord's head. Why do you say that? Why are you thinking that way? Why are you speaking of such a serious condition in such a manageable way? And maybe there's something that we can learn about very serious situations from this these words of Jesus. And instead of making everything impossible, end of the story, a permanent condition, we start thinking of and speaking of them as changeable, alterable, fixable. Amen. Just like many people will view their own condition based on their symptoms or based on uh, a report, a doctor's report, and they will begin to identify with a condition, a disease, a mylupus. Is that one word? Okay. Uh, 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 I'm a diabetic. I'm a, you know, my allergies, my, whatever, whatever it may be, the gamut of people start identifying, and I'm a this, I have this, this is the way it is, and they speak of it with such permanency. Like, that's the final word on the subject. Well, they said this one's uncurable. Well, God didn't say that. I mean, usually we consider people dying. That would be pretty uncurable. But Jesus didn't. He didn't speak of Lazarus and say, game over. Guess we'll see him in the sweet by and by. <laughs> he changed the whole conversation and the whole mentality about his, uh, about his death. And that, he's just sleeping. Amen. Come on. We'll just go wake him up. 
And, and if we can start viewing the things that we are attacked with or the things that we deal with in that same light, they will start, we'll start taking the impossible down to the possible. Instead of this is an insurpassable mountain. I can never get over this. I don't know how to overcome this. And all of a sudden it will be like, ah, we can do this. Amen. It's just sleep. Everybody okay? Think of these conditions. It's just a small annoyance. I mean, compared to God, say, well, they say it's serious. But God is serious. He is the Almighty One, mighty in our midst. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Amen. And so we start seeing things in light of Him, in light of God, and, and seeing stuff as easy, easy to receive, easy to change. Nothing, it doesn't even touch God's power, these situations we deal with, when we can start seeing death as sleeping, we're ready to raise the dead. Amen. That was the mentality of the Lord Jesus. And you saw the results. You can read the rest of the story. I already told you he does come out. You know, people have wondered about this story as well. So, well, why did Jesus wait when he heard he was sick? And people have even taught. This has even been a teaching. Jesus let Lazarus die so he could raise him from the dead. Wait, stop for a moment there. Stop for a moment. Think about that rationally. Would you do that? You have a friend that is dying. And instead of getting over there to pray, to minister to that friend as soon as possible, you're going to kick back and wait for him to die. So I'm going to let him die first. That way the testimony will be way cooler. <laughs> I mean, is that how we think? We don't do that. Not with someone we care about. We're like, I'm going to get there as soon as possible and, and get this fixed. So then why did Jesus wait for two days? He doesn't say why. All we know is this. When he got there, he'd been dead four days. So Jesus waited two more days. He was already dead. In fact, that's what he was telling his disciples. He said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Now, how did he know that? I believe he knew that by revelation knowledge or, or, or a word of knowledge. The report came to him, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus knew right on the inside. This is oftentimes how these gifts work. He knew, oh, no, he's already gone. But that wasn't the end of the story. But his reason for waiting two days, he doesn't really explain. I'm sure there's some other reasons there. But he was already dead. By the time he got there, he'd been dead for four days. And yeah, that was a cooler miracle. Maybe he wanted to give him two days in Abraham's bosom just to hang out with the guys. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm spe I speculate there. But Jesus didn't let the guy die. In other words, the Lord's not letting you suffer so he can fix you later. That's, right. That's not the way God thinks. That's not the way you think towards your kids. It's not the way God thinks towards us. Amen. Amen. All right, ready for number two? Uh, two? Two chapters back, John chapter 9. John, the ninth chapter. And this is about a guy, a blind guy. Not the kind that puts them on your windows, but the, 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 the blind guy that actually cannot see. And, and I want to read this passage as well. John 9, verse 1. It reads here, now Jesus... As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
And so, for, so first of all, we're, what we're getting here is an insight into the beliefs of his disciples. And uh, on, a, on a positive note there, I'm glad to see that they didn't just attribute this guy's blindness to God's will for his life like people do today. They say if someone's got a condition, someone's born with a condition, well, God was in control of that. Stop it. Even they, with their, la their limited knowledge, didn't go there. They tied it directly to sin in their minds. They said, oh, sickness and sin, those are both evil. They go together. Why, did, why was he born this way? Right? I mean, it's a, lot, it's a good question for, the, for them to, uh, to ask, but you can see what their belief was, and some of it was totally off. Like, did this guy sin before he was born? Like, maybe kick his mom too hard? I, 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 don't, I don't know what kind of sins they're thinking of in the womb. Unless they were influenced by paganism and the idea of reincarnation or some kind of previous life sin, you know. But that's obviously not biblical. So they were off on that part of it for sure. Uh, their, their question about did his parents sin, there is some biblical foundation in that concept at least. Uh, and, and it comes from, it, it, it comes from the, the Old Testament um, where we can see that ancestors kind of do affect our lives. Let me read a couple of examples to you. You don't have to turn there. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord uh, passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the iniquity of the fathers into further generations. Here's another one, Jeremiah 32, 17 and 18. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You, you show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children after them, the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And so we see this, this concept of, of what happens with parents affects their children. Now, we, we know that's true in the land of the living, right? We know that we have all been impacted by our parents. In fact, if your parents served God and loved Jesus and lived a godly life and walked in love and wisdom towards you, you had some benefits because they did that, right? I have the opportunity. Wendy's birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday. Uh, I, <laughs> do you take cash? Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have the opportunity to benefit my offspring by how I live my life. And if I, do, if I live for God, they benefit. If I don't, they suffer extra challenges as a result. We know that's real. What sometimes we haven't really seen is that even generations before us have impacted us today. And people who have gone before us in generations, when they lived for God, when they served Him, when they lived a godly life, we are reaping benefits of their decisions. Some positive things. Some people, you just, you have a leg up. Why? People before me prayed. 
people before me served God. Right at the, at the same time, when people did the wrong thing, those repercussions often do uh, go down the generations as well. And we can see that people have additional challenges as a result of those who did not live for God. I know sometimes there are questions when it comes to people, just like them, to people being born with various, uh, you know, conditions. You know, like this guy who was born blind. It's like, whose fault was that? That's what they're trying to get at. Whose fault was that? And we all have those, those kind of questions. But consider this. Every one of us were born with issues. They're not all the same. And for sure, some people have greater challenges than others. But we, were, we all inherited the sin nature of Adam. And because of that sin nature and things outside of our control, people were born sometimes with greater uh, sometimes physical ailments than others. I wish it weren't that way. It is. Say, is that my fault? No, you didn't kick your mom too hard <laughs> in the womb. But it just is. We live in a fallen world. Here's the good news is if you grow up, you can have a relationship with God independent of that, in spite of that. And you can believe God and stand on his promises that were, no matter where you come from, well, no matter what happened to you in the womb before, you know, uh, in early years, you can rise up in victory today. God is available to you. But I want to dispel the notion that somehow if something happened before birth, that God was in control of that. Why would we think that? There is so much happening in this, in this earth, in this world today that is directly in opposition to his will. Amen. I mean, even with this, uh, with the Rona going around, I mean, I think about our ministry. We're right, we're right now, we can't get in the nursing homes. We can't get in the prisons. We, we can't do some of the outreach ministries that we normally do. This is not a God thing. It's not his plan. I mean, it's the devil. It's a hindrance to us glorifying him. It's in the way. Yeah. And God will have the last word on this anyway. Amen. We're get, we'll not give up. We'll come out and come over, and Jesus will be glorified. The revival will sleep, sweep the land. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But again, this guy was born blind, so they're asking these kind of questions. Jesus' answer is interesting, though. Even with all this knowledge, even with all they knew about the Old Testament, verse 3, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. What's the answer to the reason this guy was born blind? It, he did not say. He did not give them the reason. He just said, neither it wasn't his sin, it wasn't his parents' sin. So that's true today. People are born with different challenges and face different, different criticism, different problems. And what was the reason? Uh, it's not necessarily their, their sin. It's never their sin. It's not necessarily their parents' sin. But here's what's, uh, here's what's interesting about this. In fact, let me read the rest, and then I'll explain. He goes on to say, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, when reading this, you understand our scriptures uh, were not written in English originally. This, in fact, was originally written in Greek. And when we have chapters, verses, 
commas, periods, capitals. None of that stuff was inspired. The translator took their best shot at it, and it was subjective. The commas are not inspired. Okay? They're not in the original. So they're saying, okay, comma here, period here, new sentence here, new verse here, new, new topic here. Right? They're doing that. And so knowing that, we do not want to give credence necessarily to all the sentence structure. We want to see what was really said. Because of that, in this passage, it almost makes it sound like in our English Bibles that God made the guy blind so later on in life he could heal him. Does it almost seem like that? Again, go to, go to, go to logic. If you were to knock someone down, I mean trip them, kick them, step on them, and then say, oh, you fell. You know, may I offer my assistance? Can I help you up? You look like you're hurt. I mean, would you be viewed as a compassionate person? Would everyone say, oh, you're such a nice guy. No, we would look at you and say, you are off your rocker. <laughs> you don't knock the guy down and then act like you're being a blessing by lifting him up back, back up, right? <laughs> so that just doesn't compute. That's, just, that's not the way our father is. I'm going to knock you down with blindness just so later on I can heal you and look good. That is not what Jesus was saying. In fact, it's easy to understand when you, when you just uh, basically read it without the, the translator's punctuation. And they said, why was this guy born blind, this or this? Jesus said, neither. It wasn't this man or his parents that sinned, period. He didn't want to talk about that. It wasn't about the cause. It wasn't about the reason. He went on to say, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night comes when no one can work. What is he saying? We have a little window here, you guys. We just have a little opportunity. It's only light for a little while. We, we've got to get the work of God done. Yes. What, what happens is sometimes, and, and let me say this first. Do you notice the work of God had not yet been done? We must work the works of him who sent us. In other words, the blindness wasn't the work of God. The healing was the work of God. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Jesus called sickness and disease demonic oppression. And the work of God, the good work of God was healing. In this man, his blindness was not the work of God. Jesus said the work of God had not yet been done. But we're going to work it. Amen. Amen. And again, the end of the story is the guy gets, gets healed. But I wonder sometimes if this is true concerning our lives. Where we ask questions to such a degree that we're missing the point. I'm a question asker myself. I love doing Q&A. I like answers. I want to know. I want to... But, but sometimes it's the wrong time to keep asking questions. Sometimes it's not the right moment to get all the reasons why. Let's just get to the work of God. It's like that day that, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, John 3. 
started asking and started talking to him. Lord, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do all the miracles that he, you, you do except he be from God, all this stuff. And Jesus jumped right in the middle of it and said, man, you need to be born again. You might think, oh, that's not what I was asking. But that's what you should have asked. <laughs> Jesus didn't have time for all his questions right then. It was that he had too many questions. And we all can have a thousand questions. Sometimes you need to stop asking all the questions and just say, okay, I realize I don't know this. I don't understand this. It's okay to inquire of the Lord. Teach me. Show me. But if you don't get an answer, stop thinking about it every day. What should I do? Go to what you do know. Instead of fumbling around this and trying to determine why this guy was born blind, do the work of God. We are limited in our time. This guy's blind. He needs fixed. And that's a right perspective. That's a right approach to the problems that we face. Yes, we want answers. Yes, I want to understand. But if I don't know, I, I, I can still focus on what I do know. Amen. That's why Jesus didn't engage this in great detail of discussion and ever really asking the question. He just said, no, it's not that. But come on, giddy up. Let's get this guy healed. Let's get this. Let's do the work of God. Let us never have so many questions that we are so occupied with what we don't know that we fail to act on what we do know. That we're so concerned. Listen, people are hurting. People are suffering. Get out there and work the works of him who sent you while it's day. Praise God. It is our focus. Again, I did that series recently. It is our focus on the ability and power and magnitude and faithfulness of God, and you can list a whole bunch of other things there, that will enable us to see blindness, death, for certain a virus, for certain a lupus, for certain an allergy for certain anything else we can see it and ought to see it as small treat it like sleep treat it like a temporary condition this is no big deal my God is bigger than this but they say this is impossible or pastor you don't know how much it hurts you might be right but I do know how big my God is I do know that the scripture says that Jesus cast out spirits with the finger of God Not this mighty, massive, all, you know, all-powerful devil. No, this wimpy little creature. One day we'll see him. You will see him and say, what? <laughs> Seriously, that's the guy who caused so much suffering, so much pain, so much harm in this world. He's the one who did that? Because I tell you, compared to Almighty God, and really compared to you as a new creation in Christ, he is not impressive. These little demons that torment and tempt and bring fear and discouragement and disease and ailments, all kinds, they are not impressive creatures. They're just little lion tongues. But if we step back and say, but he is almighty God, strong and mighty in, my, in the midst of me. He is my helper. He is the greater one who lives in me. That's greater than he who's in the world. And we start magnifying the name, the power, the personhood of God himself. We start seeing everything else as manageable, overcomable, 
right? Easy to get victory over. We start calling in possible situations, pretending, it, pretending like they're just sleeping. Why do you call it that? Just to keep things in perspective. That even the death of Lazarus was considered by Jesus temporary, solvable, just need a little resurrection power, and he'll come right out of that tomb. Amen. I tell you, <laughs> and just a little bit of power, just a little bit of power working in your life, just a little dabble, do you? Just a little bit. It's, I mean, the power, the, the touch of God is so potent. It is in such high concentration. Just a little drop under your tongue. Just a little touch from God. And I tell you, every symptom bows its knee. It doesn't come close. It doesn't measure up or even compare. Imagine the size of the universe. We can't. We can, try, we can describe it, what we can see with our eyes, but it's incomprehensible. The universe being endless as far as we can tell. We can't even wrap our, our, our little brains around it. And this is God Almighty who holds it in his hand. And yet we are struggling with a problem that's so big. We don't know how we're going to make it. Amen. May your identity be found in Christ, in who he says you are. And we are, according to the word of the Lord, we are the healed of the Lord. We are victorious in his name, more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we refuse to see ourselves or speak of ourselves in any lesser manner. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and bless God, we're going to say so. I will not identify and embrace all the problems that people bow their knee to and worship with great respect. No, Jesus suffered and died on my behalf, and that is the only thing I'm going to say. What do you have to say about your condition? Jesus was striped for me. Amen. Jesus was brutalized so I could be free. And I'm going to agree with him today. Yes. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. It makes me want to run. <laughs> Glory to God. We start seeing him the way he really is. I was talking to some minister friends just the other day on Friday, and we all agreed. When God works through you, nothing else in this world matters. When you have the power of God working through you, who cares about, like, everything else? He is just that, that good, that powerful. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, thank you for working in here, in our lives, in this house working in our bodies, 